0: The following is an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on January 6th, 2019, on the Feast of the Epiphany. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can submit that question by email to archbishop at wjmj.org. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Once again, that email address is archbishop at wjmj.org. Now we hope you enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner.
1: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to say a little bit about the Epiphany? Because it's such an important feast, especially for our Hispanic brothers and sisters.
2: Yes, our new uh, Auxiliary Bishop, you know, is families uh, family from Puerto Rico. And I know that Epiphany is a very big feast day. The Three Kings, yeah, Feast of the Three Kings in uh, Puerto Rico. But other cultures as well, as you remember from our student days in Rome, uh, in Italy, the Epiphany is a big day too. At least it used to be. I don't know if things are changing in Italy. They probably are. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, you know, Christmas doesn't end on the 25th of December by any means. Uh, The whole notion of Christ being revealed to the world, to the Gentile world, to the non-Jewish world on Epiphany by the three kings. And what a beautiful way to illustrate the faith for uh, young and old alike, you know, the, 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 the idea of the three kings, the three magi making their journey, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, this is uh, a story that, from the scriptures, uh, 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 that is uh, filled with uh, rich symbolism uh, and uh, theological meaning as well.
1: If we do as the three kings did and humble ourselves before the Lord, doing him homage, we put him first. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges in our lives today, in our world today. Too often today, we make ourselves or another person or possessions or money the center of our homage. How can we put Jesus first in our lives and in our hearts today?
2: Well, that's the challenge every day, you know. That's the challenge of Christian faith. Uh, What does Jesus say? Unless you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So denying yourself, not... uh, because, well, let's put it this way, you deny yourself in order to find yourself within, in Christ. That it's only in God, in Christ, that we really find uh, our true identity and our our destiny and our happiness. Uh, so it's it's all about that.
1: Tomorrow is Monday, which is usually everyone's least favorite day of the week. However, tomorrow is national. Thank God it's Monday, so we need to embrace the day. Many people become depressed at the thought of a new work week. And uh, they go in on Mondays with a very bad outlook. How can one who is depressed with Mondays improve one's outlook at the start of another work week? Any suggestions you might have?
2: Well, nowadays, people get depressed at everything. That's, some, people, that's true. some people get depressed that it's Friday. Others yeah. get depressed that it's Monday. Others get depressed that it's Christmas. Others, I mean, and I don't mean to make light of people that have clinical depression. But I'm just saying that, you know, life, uh, it's what you put into it in your, your frame of mind. And certainly with the religious faith, when you're motivated, you know, by your faith, that should be a big boost to lift you out of any temptation you may have to be depressed. Um, You know, that God's grace is with you at every moment, that you have a mission to fulfill that's not been entrusted to any other one that ever was or ever will be, and your life makes a difference in the world and the life of people, even though it might seem modest or, you know, not readily apparent, uh, but all of us is made in the image and likeness of God with a mission
1: good lessons to take with us as we begin a new year. Let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll talk with you, Archbishop, for your comments and thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. And this is taken from Pope Francis's homily, delivered on November 6th of 2016, and it's called Strengthen the Roots of Your Hope. The Pope says, Hope is a gift from God. We must ask for it. Hope is located deep within each human heart in order to illuminate life because our lives are so often troubled and obscured by sadness and pain. We need to nourish the roots of our hope so that our hope can bear fruit. The first and most important fruit is the certainty of God's presence and his compassion, despite the evil we may do. There is no corner of our heart that God's love cannot reach. When someone makes a mistake, the Father's mercy is all the more present, awakening repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace. Your thoughts, Archbishop?
2: Well, if we truly believe, as our faith tells us, that uh, God is the author of all that is, that a, a loving, all-powerful, and provident God is uh, the source of our being, and when we believe that the same God is our ultimate uh, destiny uh, and, and uh, fulfillment and joy, then no matter what happens to us in this world, we can always have hope. Uh, as long as we truly believe that God is the Lord of history and the Lord of creation. And uh, this is illustrated, of course, in the life of Christ, that um, despite uh, appearances of being uh, the least and being subject to human frailty uh, physically and being subjected to both the psychological, emotional, and physical torture of the Passion and Crucifixion, uh, that this gave rise to the resurrection and the triumph over death. Well, if we believe all that, then certainly we, in every situation in the world we can have hope. All we have to do is look at the crucifix and we can have hope uh, because we see what
1: God can do and, and has done. The Pope says uh, hope is a gift from God. We must ask for it. I'm wondering how many of us pray for the grace of hope.
2: Well, that's an important point because for our faith— Uh, faith, hope, and charity are theological virtues. They're not just nice feelings or, you know, they're not just something that we kind of well up within ourselves out of willpower. They are gifts. These are theological virtues. They're oriented to God. And so uh, they're they're gifts and graces. So we need, yes, we do need to pray for the virtue of hope. I would say the virtue of hope, just as we pray uh, for an increase of faith, an increase of charity, we also pray for an increase of hope. It's not only our own efforts mustering some kind of human, merely human uh, willpower or emotion, but it it, it is a gift.
1: Well, before we take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners, let's take a look at our Gospel reading for this Sunday as we celebrate the Epiphany of the Lord, the sixth day of a new year. Today's reading is from Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, and after the Gospel is presented in dramatic fashion, We'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts on what this gospel should mean for us today.
3: Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him,
1: In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then
3: Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way.
1: Archbishop, what's the message of this gospel and of the Epiphany?
2: Well, I think we already discussed this uh, a bit at the beginning of the program. Um, I suppose that here you can we could we see the story more elaborated, uh, and we see the dark figure of uh, Herod lurking in the background and we see from the very beginning that the, the evil one uh, the devil and, and the temptations of the devil are already at work trying to destroy the newborn Messiah. Uh, so this is a little foretaste of what's going to happen in, in, in the end. Of course, until it's God's moment and God's time for Christ to offer himself uh, upon the cross until that time Uh, the devil is put at bay. So Herod, who wants to destroy the child, uh, is not successful in doing so. Uh, But I think it's a healthy reminder that evil is very real, and uh, the devil is very real, and temptation and the machinations of the devil are very real. You know, we say that prayer at St. Michael now in our churches after Mm -hmm. Mass, uh, and I think perhaps we've it's timely because we've forgotten uh, sometimes the reality of evil and how we have to pray to keep it at bay and ask God to intercede for us and through through St. Michael and the angels and saints.
1: Well, it wasn't difficult back in the days of Herod to look at him and see that he was the embodiment of evil in the world. He's cunning, contriving, a real snake in the grass. In, in Into the world of human life, divinity is born, and almost immediately all that is good, wholesome, and loving is met by evil. And so we can't, we can't think that today's world in which we live is going to be devoid or uh, cleared of all evil that exists.
2: No, but as St. John says so beautifully in the prologue of his, his gospel, uh, the, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is the victor over all of this.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on January 6th, 2019 on the Feast of the Epiphany. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can actually voice your question by calling the Archbishop's Hotline at 203-805-5047. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Please call 203-805-5047 to voice record your question. Please continue to enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner.
1: Would that a star could lead people today to faith and to the cradle of Christ. The star. What leads people to Christ today? Whose responsibility is it?
2: Well, I think, uh, first of all, we are led to Christ. And by the way, Pope Benedict wrote some beautiful uh, a beautiful book on the infancy narratives in the Gospel, right, yeah. in which he talks about the events reported connected with the Nativity and the epiphany, uh, taking into account modern critical historical uh, understanding of history. And I think it's a beautiful reflection and uh, uh, you know, to answers about those things, so I would recommend that to people. Um, and he talks in there, too, about uh, you know, the epiphany, the star, the magi. I think people would find it very interesting. But uh, in answer to your question...
1: What leads people today to the cradle of Christ, to Christ?
2: Well, obviously, it's God's grace, you know, uh, that faith... Well, but maybe you're even talking before faith, you know, about people being led to Christ... Uh, you know Jesus we're introduced to him yeah. well Jesus says you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world he says that to the disciples and he says it to us well he's the only light right? right i am the light of the world so how can we be light well we're light if we bring the message and the uh, the reality of Christ to to others through our reflection of him yeah. so to the extent that we are living As Saint Paul says, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. To the extent that we make that uh, a reality in our lives through faith and prayer and charity, then we're leading people to Christ, just like the started.
1: Awesome responsibility when you come to think of it, isn't it?
2: Well, and it's one on which we will be judged, isn't it?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Because uh, you know all those parables about the one to whom much is given, much will be expected in return, or about the talents, you know, giving the different servants a coin and saying what. Kind of interest did you gain on it? Those are what those are the kind of parables Jesus uses. So we're going to be held responsible for how we radiated Christ or not.
1: Stephen from New Britain has a question for you, and in his question he says there are a lot of versions of the Bible, and even after researching about the reason for this, I'm still confused. Can you explain why there are so many versions, and which version should Catholics be reading?
2: Well, if I may make a little clarification, it's true there are some different versions. And by that I mean, for example, that uh, Martin Luther rejected uh, as authentic some of the books of the New Testament uh, that uh, Catholics uh, continue to accept. So that would be a different version. But I think basically what's being what I think what's meant here is different translations. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that any translation that has an authorized Catholic imprimatur, uh, you know, uh, recognition as being an authentic. Translation. I think that would be what you should use. You know, there's the revised, there's the Catholic edition of the Revised Standard Bible. Um, I don't, I don't do commercials, and I haven't even seen it myself. But I did see on the web, there's a new uh, version of, uh, supposedly a very not, uh, handsome version and helpful version of the New Revised Translation published by Ascension Press for Catholics. Um, I don't know if, how good it is, but I saw that it was got good reviews. But that. I just mentioned that because it was in the new, uh, you know out recently but any of those catholic transla- uh, authorized translations or our, our own bishop's version uh, translation of the new american bible obviously i'm going to be in favor of that, that because one. it's our from our conference of bishops uh but those are just two that come to mind uh
1: that would be very good some are easier to understand without the these and thou's and
2: well that's now basically mostly confined to the the, the older translations, the more modern ones don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the great uh, Monsignor Ronald Knox uh, did a translation of the Bible for the English bishops, uh, which is very literary and really quite beautiful. Uh, but it's harder to, for people to, to use. It didn't catch on for popular use. Uh, but it is st- still a good translation, too.
1: Donna from Seymour says, When the Blessed Mother was pregnant with Jesus, she visited her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. They spent time together sharing their joys and hopes and tried to be faithful to what God was asking of them. What advice do you have for someone who wishes to always stay faithful to God's plan?
2: Well, the question is discerning God's plan for us. And that's not a matter of sitting just and thinking hard because God's plan reveals itself to us uh, through the events and people that are in our lives, the circumstances. Many a person can say it was divine providence that led them to a particular place or to meet a particular person or to send them to a particular, that they happen to go to a particular school that led them to their life's vocation or to to faith or prayer or whatever. So I think we have to, you know, we have to ask God to guide our paths and purposes and bring them to a happy conclusion and to lead us in the right path. And then to have the faith to be open, to have eyes to see where God is calling us through the circumstances of our life. And I think that's, that's the way we, we overcome our kind of spiritual blindness and we begin to realize the hand of God in our life. Remembering, too, the, you know, the famous saying that God writes straight with crooked lines, that sometimes you know God doesn't lead us in, a very, in an immediate straight path, but through the zigs and zags of life, God is teaching us and calling us.
1: Mitchell from Wallingford says, I have been struggling financially, and because of this, I've had trouble in my marriage. I've become depressed and fear I am falling off the path God set for me. How can I change my attitude and remember that God has a plan for me even when life is difficult?
2: Well, I'm reminded of that line in the gospel that says, uh, Lord, help me to believe. Help, my, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, you know, the cry of one who's in difficult circumstances that yes, I do believe, but there's a part of me uh, that, that doesn't believe or tempted not to believe or not to trust. So, you know, I believe help my unbelief. And I think when we're caught in difficult crosses or circumstances that seem to overwhelm us, that's where we have to put all our trust in God. And we have to keep making that act of trust and keep going the right path, even in the midst of the cross, even in the midst of suffering, you know. The great saints tell us, and it's easier said than done, that no matter what happens to us, we, we must not lose our, our cool uh, about our trust in God. You know, they say, let nothing disturb you or fright you, that God is uh, there and God is with you. Uh, and I know that can be very hard sometimes, but uh, that's a test of our faith.
1: Camille from Waterbury says, my daughter is expecting her first child soon, and she and her husband are considering who they'd like to make godparents. My daughter's godmother is my dearest friend, but when she and her husband divorced, my daughter did not speak to her godfather anymore. Do you think that it is better to pick godparents from family only to avoid these types of situations?
2: Well, the only thing I would say is this can happen in your family too. Mm. You know, we have to be very, uh, I mean, I, I, it's very difficult for me to comment on this because I don't know the persons involved. You know, you can't make a blanket. Uh, I don't know what led to the divorce or whatever, but I will say this, the fact that somebody is divorced certainly does not mean that they should be shunned or, you know, uh, ostracized or right. whatever. I suspect that maybe they're not on speaking terms because of maybe the uh, reason why there was a divorce and somebody is being blamed as, you know, and I right. don't know the circumstances of that, but the, the only thing I can say in answer to a question like that is that we we should keep the door open to... Uh, people in those difficult situations and not slam it. Uh, now, there can be, you know, there, b- but that's just a general principle. I don't know what's going on here, you know.
1: Maybe it would be good j- just to answer the question. When choosing godparents for a child to be baptized, what should the parents of the child be considering?
2: They should be considering the qualifications and the obligations of what it means to be a godparent. Um, obviously, that they have to be people who are uh, who believe and who are practicing the faith. I mean, how can you be a godparent to bring somebody into the church if you're not in church yourself? You know, I mean, by a practicing Catholic, and uh, and I think that's the most important of all. And the idea that this is somebody who who you know they they're assuming a responsibility to help the parents with the raising this child in the faith. You know, if 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 you're a godparent. And the actual parents fall away, or they don't—they uh, stop going to church. You have a responsibility, as best you can do it. You know, because maybe you don't have an opening, but if you have some opening to encourage the child to be raised in the faith, or to, or as they get older, to for you to help them to practice the faith and be true to the faith, you you have to do that. It's not just some empty title or honor. You know, it 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 involves uh, it involves a responsibility.
1: But sometimes that's what it degenerates into somebody who's a close friend with the the mother or the father, and perhaps they don't even practice the faith themselves, but, oh, we'd like you to be the godmother of our child because...
2: Well, I can tell you a funny story. Okay. I remember from my own family, my mother, she said this once. uh, These relatives are all deceased now, so I guess I can say this, (laughs) but my my mother's sister and her husband, uh, when they had a, a daughter... Uh, my mother was always thinking, and that was the custom that godparents were chosen from among the family. Man, you know, sure. but <laughs> my mother's sister's husband, the father of the baby, he wanted the godfather to be his foreman at work, and and I guess because he thought he was you know going to get in good with the boss or something. At least that's uh-huh. the dim view my mother took about it. <laughs> and I know that my mother never liked that idea that that they that they had gone outside the family to find a godfather. Uh, I mean, it's a little humorous when you look back at it now, but those are customs and traditions and, you know, but basically it's about about family. Or
1: that's like choosing Aunt Janet, who has a lot of money, to be the godmother of the child because you know Aunt Janet is going to take good care of the child.
2: Don't talk about your godmother on the air like this.
1: (laughs) Moving right along, let's see. Uh, Bobby has a question, and Bobby's from Bethany. At one of the television masses from the cathedral, I was surprised to see that the gospel was sung instead of read by the priest. Is that something done only on certain occasions?
2: Well, it's, uh, I don't know what the ex- exact uh, prescription is about that, but normally it would, would be done on uh, uh, special occasions. Uh, I, but I consider every Sunday to be a special occasion uh, or holy day where it could be done. Uh, but realistically we we do it often at Christmas, Easter or some other major feasts of that nature.
1: And you would want to have somebody who has a good singing voice to sing the gospel rather than somebody like me.
2: Uh, well, without being uncharitable and having knowing the quality of your <laughs> your sung voice as opposed right, to your you're already as as, raise, you, so. as opposed to your speaking voice, I would agree completely that that's probably best not to to do.
1: But it is it is very beautiful when it's done properly.
2: Oh yes, of course. Uh, and you know the uh, yeah. But when when it's not, it can be very bad. Mm-hmm.
1: Matthew from Norfolk says, "My nephew was married a year ago to someone that he has always been very happy with. His wife is now asking for a marriage annulment because she met someone else. Can you tell me what makes the annulment process different from a divorce?"
2: Well, Matthew, let me see how very sorry I am for your nephew. Uh, because this happens a lot today with people in this world, that and I've never seen sadder people in my ministry than those who have been uh, divorced against their will by the other, you know, partner. Uh, and I don't what. It, well, it is what it is here, uh, and and I would say the difference between the di- uh, divorce or an annulment is the annulment uh, means that you can show that there never were the conditions present for the marriage to be valid in the first place. So for example, let's give a drastic example to make my point. If one of the bridesmaids can testify in a church court, honestly and truthfully, that the bride before her wedding to your uh, nephew said that she didn't really believe this, that marriage is unbreakable, or that she already was seeing this other guy that she eventually, you know, and kept seeing him, you could have grounds for an annulment to say that when she promised uh, to be faithful uh, until death to us part, that she was not telling the truth. Now, I'm giving you hypothetical things. I'm not saying that's the case. But then you could get an annulment because there was not, uh, the, the marriage was not celebrated with the, the bride and the groom both really honestly being truthful about their intentions.
1: Can we say in simple forms, that a divorce breaks the marriage whereas an annulment says that a valid marriage never existed to begin with
2: yes that there was some that from the beginning even in the actual exchange of vows there was some fundamental essential essential element of marriage was, was missing. missing you know if 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 you can show that one of the parties uh, never intended to have children or never intended the, the marriage to be uh, permanent uh, or faithful uh, then, then, but not later, but at the time of the marriage when they said the vows, then you can get that. Those are grounds for an annulment.
1: Lois from Hartford asks, What does absolution in confession do? If I don't do the penance the priest gives me, are my sins forgiven?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. Why would you not do the penance the priest gives you? Uh, if you enter in good faith, it's one of the elements of uh, the sacrament. I can only... Uh, infer here that maybe you're thinking if you forgot to do it or something and in that case entering in you know I mean in good faith uh, your sins are forgiven certainly I would have to here we're not dealing with a legal question we're dealing more with a spiritual one in God's eyes if a person comes to confession and they're given a reasonable penance to do and they refuse to do it I only God can answer what kind of heart or mind is at work here and why why they would do such a thing.
1: And Charlie from Woodbury says, My wife is considering accompanying a friend of hers to visit a medium. Her friend's mother died last year, and she wants to speak with someone who can communicate with the other side. I've always had the understanding that any sort of psychic or medium is forbidden in the Catholic Church. Although my wife is just going for support, would she still be sinning by attending?
2: Well, I think uh, objectively speaking, this is uh, a moral evil and wrong, yes. And you can confer in the Catechism of the Catholic Church about these matters, but what they're based on, and you know, there's a lot of uh, biblical uh, statements about this too. Even in the Old Testament, this was looked upon as a form of idolatry. Uh, And so, no, it's not morally acceptable, no. But again, not just because Archbishop Blair says so, but because it, if you look at the, uh, the catechism and you look at the scriptures, you, you come to an understanding of why that is so.
1: Archbishop, uh, just to conclude our uh, discussion today on this sixth day of a new year, for those people who have made New Year's resolutions and perhaps already may, might be wavering on those resolutions. For instance, somebody makes a New Year's You're res-
2: wavering after only six
1: days? Not me. Not me. I'm still faithful so far. Knock on wood. No, that's kind of idolatry, too. Although my mother used to do that all the time. Why?
2: Where does that come from? Do you know? I have no idea.
1: Neither do I. I never thought of it
2: as being idolatry.
1: No, it's not. I don't know what it is. What is it? Knocking on wood. You did it. I'll research it for next time. Maybe I won't.
0: But in any case,
1: somebody who might be wavering on a uh, New Year's resolution to, uh, let's say, read a portion of Scripture as their night prayer before they go to bed. And and, and they missed doing that for the past two Well, nights. Jesus fell three times, and he got up every
2: time on the way of the cross. So, you know, okay, if you're starting to get a little shaky there, don't give up. Just keep trying.
1: That's what I wanted to hear, a little inspiration from you as with, on the beginning of this new year.
2: I thought this whole program was supposed to be inspirational.
1: I, it, it was, except the talk about me getting a raise. Oh, <laughs> And we've reached the end of our time together. So can you conclude the program with a prayer and a real blessing for all of us?
2: Lord, we all need a sense of new beginnings in our life uh, when we, in our weakness, uh, fail or do not achieve the things we would like to uh, in your eyes. And so we pray at the beginning of a new calendar year that you will save us and raise us up every day. And help us always to have confidence in your grace uh, to support us and strengthen us in doing what is right and good and in growing in our love for you and our neighbor. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week at 7 o'clock on Sunday with a repeat at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And as always, enjoy this week and be faithful to your resolution. I'm sure going to try.
3: Thank you. (laughs)